Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, I'm excited to throw that around. Um, to be in God's Word this morning is we are in a series that I am calling Core Convictions, um, Core Strengths, um, you know, kind of using these interchangeably. But what we're talking about is the importance of being strengthened at the core of who we are as a church, a local congregation within the city of New Orleans, within the state of Louisiana, within the United States, within the nations. And so what it means for a church to be a biblically thriving church is where we are today. And so I want to invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And so as we're looking over these first five weeks together, where I'm coming in, if you're new, so am I. Um, and so we're, we're in this together, but as we're coming in and we're spending time together intentionally in God's Word, we're looking at what, is it, what does it mean for us to be a biblically thriving church. And so last week we considered our first core conviction, and that, that, that core strength that we must have in order to be a biblically thriving church, and that first con- conviction was this, we must be, and I'm using the must be language because that's what a conviction is. It's something we must be. It's not, well, we should, or maybe we could. We must be scripture fed. We must be scripture fed. And we looked at that, and, and I really tried to communicate last week that from everything else comes this first foundational core conviction that we must be scripture fed because it's only as we're scripture fed that then we begin to see these other aspects to what it means to be a biblically thriving church. And so we see as we begin to go into God's word, we see from the very beginning to the very end, this pattern of God-ordained leadership. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, God-ordained leadership. We see God-ordained leadership in the Garden of Eden, and we see God-ordained leadership in Revelation chapter 22. So from beginning to end, we see God-ordained leadership. Now, last week, I began my sermon with the illustration of grass-fed beef. The point was that what we eat What we consume is what people experience when they experience us. So in other words, if we are Facebook fed, then people are going to experience a worldview curated by Facebook, which we have consumed. Likewise, if we are primarily scripture fed, then people are much more likely to experience Christ and his word when they are around us. Now, when we speak about leadership, we come back to what are we going to eat what are we going to consume in our understanding of what leadership is all about? There's literally tens of thousands of books written on leadership. In fact, if you hop on Amazon and just do the search for leadership books, you're going to get over 60,000 returns on that search. The diversity of what people think leadership is and what it really boils down to is overwhelming. Do we just pick the most popular author or the books with the most uh, five-star reviews or the most reviews, some of the ways that we usually choose what to read? While much can be gleaned from great books on leadership, we come back to our first core conviction. We must be Scripture-fed. Many passages in the Bible speak about leadership, but all leadership finds its ultimate fulfillment in a person. And that person is Jesus. Said another way, Jesus was the greatest leader ever to live. Jesus embodied perfectly God's ordained character, 
God's ordained conduct and God's ordained care in the role of leadership. And as the greatest leader ever to live, as the greater, greatest leader who continues to live and to rule and to reign, we are confronted with the greatest paradox when we look at Scripture. And here it is, captured in Matthew chapter 20. And the context is this. The mother of two of the disciples, James and John, has come to Jesus, and she's basically looking out for her boys. The other fellas learn about this power move of James and John's mom and then the boys, and they are enraged. What do you mean trying to get the right hand and the left hand seats around Jesus? That's for us too. And so there's this argument kind of unfolding. And then Jesus, in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 25, he says this, Jesus called them over and said, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man, referring to himself, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Said simply, we must be servant-led. We must be servant-led. On one hand, to say that we must be servant-led is ultimately to say that we must be led by Jesus, for he is the ultimate servant leader. Yet Jesus has ascended into heaven, and one day he will return. And what we are to do now in regard to this manner of servant leadership is made clear in the Scriptures here today in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And it is to there that I hope you have found your place, and I invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word as I read from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Hear the Word of the Lord. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Therefore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders, so that he does not fall into disgrace in the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, 
should be worthy of respect. Not, hip, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. Wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own household competently. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that as we are scripture fed, we immediately see from beginning to end in your word that you have ordained leadership in the family and you have ordained leadership in the church. And so today, Father, in accordance with your word, may we resolve as a local congregation to be servant-led. Will we drive it down today, a stake in all of our hearts that, that says this convictional statement, we must be servant-led. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We must be servant-led. The two offices specified in this passage are overseer and deacon. Now, it's important to note that throughout the New Testament, several office titles seem to be synonymous. And those office titles are elder, overseer, and pastor. They're used interchangeably in a few key passages, such as in 1 Peter chapter 5, that allow us to see them as a synonymous office within the church. In Baptist life, we often use the word pastor. That's what I'm called, Pastor Chad. And so today, I'm going to use the two phrases, overseer and pastor, interchangeably, strongly acknowledging that the word in the text is best translated overseer. But about an overseer or a pastor, you have been considering and thinking much over the past 27 months since Pastor David Crosby retired. So today, not in neglect of the criteria of an overseer. In fact, I'll just tell you this. Last night during our family worship time, I read this passage to my kids. And I said, okay, kids, I want you guys to do an evaluation of dad. I just want your honest feedback on how I'm doing. And so we just read through those and I got an A minus. So I'm just going to be honest, you know, it's not an A plus performance yet. But hey, I'm, I'm on the road of sanctification like you, all right? So not to neglect that, but today I want to focus on the office of deacon and that service to which deacons are called and to understand better as a congregation why it's so important that we have a robust, healthy, biblical deacon ministry in the life of this church. So I want us to look at the text and just allow it to speak to us, God to speak to us from the text. And so 
give your attention with me to verse 8. Look at verse 8. There's just two words that I want to kind of propel us into this entire understanding of all of these different aspects that we've seen today. And the first is this, the word deacon. Deacon simply means servant. Now, there's a lot in that, right? Just the word, just the title says it all. A deacon is a servant. They're servants. So let that be how we understand the office of a deacon. It's the office of a servant. Second, likewise. So his first two words, deacon, likewise. Likewise is this, a deacon is to be like the pastor. A deacon is to be like, likewise, referring back to overseer or pastor or elder, is to be like the pastor. But I want us to consider today how these servants are to be like pastors in the life of the local church. Because in Baptist life, I think rightly we esteem the office of pastor. There's a lot more attention given to what we're looking for in a pastor, what the role of the pastor is in the life of the church. But when it comes to the deacon ministry, the pendulum is swung over the years to where now in the lives of many churches, the ministry of the deacons has been relegated to only helping serve the Lord's Supper and take up the offering. And no more, and sometimes even less. Can that be? When we consider that Paul is speaking to the church and communicating how important it is that they be servant-led, that those would be the only two functions within the life of the church that he intended. I don't think that that is accurate, and I don't think that's enough for us to be a biblically thriving church. And so today, I want us to consider that likewise statement and how the two relate. So first of all, what I want us to see is the deacon— is to be a servant leader like the pastor in character, conduct, and care. A deacon is to be a servant leader like the pastor in character, conduct, and care. Now, why does this matter? Because our character and conduct are supposed to reveal Christ. I want you to look at this passage again going back to the office of the overseer. And instead of reading kind of like this checklist in a guy that you're looking for, I want you to read it instead as a description of Jesus Christ. Consider it with me. Christ is above reproach. Christ is the husband of one wife. Now, Paul makes this clear in Ephesians 5 when he describes Christ's love for the church, his bride. He is faithful to his bride, the church. Christ is self-controlled. Christ is sensible. Christ is respectable. Christ is hospitable. Christ is able to teach. Christ is not an excessive drinker. Christ is not a bully, but gentle. Christ is not quarrelsome, and Christ is not greedy. You see, when we flip it and we read it that way as a description of our Savior, then suddenly we understand that when we look at deacons and when we look at pastors, it's not about seeing them, but about seeing Christ in them. It's about revealing Christ. 
It's about demonstrating the character of Christ. It's about manifesting the conduct of Christ. It's about performing the care, the gentle care, the loving care of Christ in the life of the church and beyond. In addition to character and conduct, deacons are to demonstrate a Christ-like care just as pastors or overseers. The word translated care here is found in one other place in the New Testament, and that is in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The care that we witness there, the Samaritan given to this bleeding and dying Jew, is self-sacrificing. It's self-denying. It's a culture-shifting kind of care. The care was physical. The care was spiritual. The care transcended racial barriers, a Samaritan helping a Jew. The care revealed Christ. Deacons in First Baptist New Orleans, of your deacons, our care is to reveal Christ, but we will not reveal him whom we do not know well. And so we come back to the importance of being Scripture-fed, both corporately and then while we scatter throughout New Orleans during the week, of being Scripture-fed. Because as we know Christ in His Word, we are more likely positioned to reveal His character, to reveal His conduct, and to reveal and to display His care. Second, the deacon is to be a servant leader like the pastor in the home and church. The deacon is to be a servant leader like the pastor in the home and in the church. In the home, it says he is to be, a, he is to be faithful to his wife. In fact, wives are also addressed in verse 11. A strong indication that Paul anticipates that couples, married couples, will serve together. If you are the wife of one of our deacons here today, then I encourage you to think of yourself as a deaconess, serving in partnership with your husband. Neither the scriptures, nor church history, nor our doctrinal statement as Southern Baptists, which is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, exclude women from serving as a deaconess. In the home, the deacon and his wife are to manage their children, if they have children, in their own household competently. This calls us to raise our children in a manner, in a manner that would never be mistaken for abuse or neglect. Please hear me. They would never be mistaken for abuse or neglect. In Paul's day, what we today would call abuse was the norm. But Paul was constantly challenging the norms of the day in order to promote love within the family at home and love within the family of God. Physical abuse was normative, but the gospel ushered in dignity. Because a parent is unable to save the soul of their child, the text does not mean that their children are Christians. Like Timothy's family, we ought to, as deacons and pastors, teach our children the scriptures, which are able to make them wise unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. But teaching them the Bible alone does not save them. Only Christ in grace through faith can do that. And we pray 
that he will. In the church, the most significant distinction between the requirements of a pastor and a deacon is this, able to teach. Now, the significance is seen in the weight of what it means to teach. Now, to teach in this context must be understood differently than the same word used in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. There we find the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, there's the word, to observe all that I have commanded. Now, if teaching only refers to those with the gift of teaching in Matthew 28, 20, then it excludes a great majority of the church from the Great Commission. And so we must understand this differently in this passage, though it is the same word. A reasonable interpretation of this passage is to understand that the teaching being referred to with the overseer or the pastor will be delivered to the entire congregation over which he is the overseer exacting his watchful duty. In other words, we can reasonably conclude that the ability to teach is what we would call today the ability to preach, as I am doing today. This also gives us reasonable clarity on what an overseer is to do in his service to the church and how significant for the health of that church that service of teaching is. Pastor John Piper says it this way, It would seem then that the deacon office exists to assist the leadership of the church by relieving the elders, pastors, and overseers of distractions and pressures that would divert them from the ministry of the word and prayer and the general visionary oversight of the church. Thus, it would seem that deacons would care for the building and grounds, supply the communion and baptismal needs, as well as all other food and fellowship materials, administer a fund for the manifold material needs of the people, and to be ready to step in during crisis of all kinds, handle the greeting and welcoming ministries, provide practical assistance in job hunting, housing matters, legal aid, child care, etc. In general, they would be ready to assist the elders, pastors, overseers of the church in any service that would support and promote the ministry of the word. Deacons, to you I speak in this moment, and to you that are home that are deacons. In faithfulness to the Scriptures, I commit as your pastor to devote myself to the ministry of prayer, the Word, and pastoral leadership. And in faithfulness to the Scriptures, I ask that you, my brothers and sisters, commit to devote yourselves to the ministry of service to our deacons and to their wives. And finally, we see this. The deacon is to be a servant leader like the pastor in the community when we leave this place. Of the pastor, Paul said, a good reputation with outsiders. And of deacons, he said, for those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When Paul asked for prayer, for boldness in Ephesians, it was to proclaim the gospel. If a pastor has a good reputation with outsiders, and if deacons have great boldness in the faith, then each of those will make them courageous disciple makers and soul winners in New Orleans and all nations. And we must believe that there is no greater ultimate service to our community 
Please hear this, FBNO. There is no greater ultimate service to our community than to exalt Christ through proclaiming the truth of the gospel in New Orleans and in all nations. If we would see Christ in the church, we must be scripture-fed and we must be servant-led. For in the servant leadership offices of pastor and deacon, we see the character of Christ We see the conduct of Christ. We see the care of Christ. And it is a conduct, character, and care that should be seen in the home of those pastors and deacons and in the church. And as they deal in our community and have dealings in our community. Now, in application of this message this morning, I want to invite those that are being ordained this morning to come forward. Those deacons that are being ordained in their families, if you'll come and find your place, and if you're one of the deacons who will be guiding us this morning in prayer, I invite you to come and join me on the stage at this time. Now, to ordain someone as a deacon is to acknowledge as a church God's plan for that person to serve in a specific servant leadership office, either that of a pastor or a deacon. Today, in accordance with the scriptures, the deacon body senses the Lord's leadership concerning three new deacons and the return of one former deacon who moved and is now returned to New Orleans. Get you guys your microphones over here. for allowing us a moment to get set up. Well, this morning, watching live with us, because a lot of our members right now are, are worshiping with us um, live, we have our first deacon candidate, and his name is Daniel Bruni and, and his wife, Jillian. So Daniel is worshiping with us live today, and I'm going to ask Wes Carter, one of our current deacons and a former member of the Pastor Search Committee, to pray over Daniel in this moment. Now, before he prays, I want to ask you, the church, to participate in the same moment by as if Daniel were here, you're going to see his picture up on the screen. I want to invite you because what we see in the scriptures over and over again during these moments of ordination or acknowledging God's specific plan for a person in service, whether it was a missionary, a pastor, or now as a deacon, they would lay hands on that individual in order to confer God's blessing and to pray for them. And so reflective of your laying hands on Daniel today, I'm going to ask if you would just to, from your seat, just extend a hand toward Daniel, reflecting this moment of being a time of ordaining him to the deacon ministry. Wes, you lead us in prayer in this moment, brother. Brother Daniel, first of all, I pray and may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Join me in prayer. Lord, my prayer for Daniel Bruni this morning is to live out daily, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. As he has been tested and nothing found against him, let him serve as a deacon here at FBC. I will pray for Daniel daily to be a man of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing greediness or dishonest gain. 
I pray He will hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience and His faith in Jesus Christ. I will pray for Daniel, for Jillian, for Olivia and Layla to be protected spiritually, physically, and in all ways each day. I pray that Daniel will learn more and more each day how and where and who to serve. And Lord, we ask You to bless and keep Daniel as he now serves with us as deacon. And I pray and ask all those who are affirmed to join me in saying, Amen. Thank you, Wes. Next, we have Mark Hagelman and his wife, Leslie, and their daughters. Stephen Harris, another one of our current deacons and a former member of the Pastor Search Committee, will lead us in a prayer for Mark as we extend our hands toward this family, thanking you for coming aboard and to be a servant within this body. Stephen, will you lead us in prayer? As we bow our heads and as we read 1 Timothy 3, I think Mark exemplifies these verses, but specifically I'll point out in verse 8, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect. And then in verse 9, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Mark has certainly demonstrated those things. Heavenly Father, what a joy, what a privilege it is to worship you. Father, because it's all about you. It's not about us. Father, we honor you today through the ordination of these men. We thank you, Father, that they believe in you and worship you and are followers of you. Father, I thank you for my friend and brother Mark. I thank you for him, that he has a servant's heart, that he loves you, that he uses his talents and gifts to honor you. I thank you for his family, for his helpmate, his wife, Leslie, and for his girls, Elena and Claire, and the precious family that they are. Father, as we as a church body are called to be servant-led, I pray that Mark would be a follower of you, Jesus Christ, as he goes about his daily life, as he leads his family, as he makes decisions, as he works within this church. Father, I pray that you protect Mark and his family as he becomes a deacon. Keep him pure, guard his heart, strengthen his relationship with you, increase his thirst for you. Father, you are good, you are worthy of our praise. We thank you for all of these men that have been set apart for, to work in this church. Specifically, I thank you for my brother Mark. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Mark and family. Next, we have Ray Siegel and his wife, Victoria. Slade Simons, another current deacon and former chairman of the Pastor Search Committee, will lead us in praying for Ray and for his family as we continue to worship together. So extend our hands together. Father God, we come to you today as one body, asking with one voice that you would bless Ray, Daniel, Mark, David, as we seek to ordain them into the deacon ministry of Christ here at First Baptist. <clears throat> God, let us all be reminded that you have not created the role of a deacon to be a position of privilege, but one of pure service to others. You have laid out the qualifications of a deacon, and these men are indeed suited to serve. 
Lord, our church has identified Ray as a man who is self-controlled, worthy of respect, sober-minded, and not pursuing dishonest gain. That he holds the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, faithful to his wife, and manages his household well. God, we thank you for Ray's commitment to love our church body and to use the gifts and talents that you have given him to be a blessing to us. We thank you for his faithfulness in serving our music ministry, our small group ministry, and in our youth ministry. We thank you for his friendship, for his humility, and his testimony. Father, we thank you for Vicki as well, for her friendship, her sweet spirit, her faithfulness to Ray, to her family, and to the members of our church body. God, we thank you that she too is a woman worthy of respect, is temperate, and is trustworthy. We pray that you would continue to bless her in her work and ministry here. And God, we thank you for Sam, and pray that you would continue to bless him and allow him to learn the deeper truths of the faith as he watches and participates and raise ministry here as a deacon. God, we thank you for this family and pray that the giftedness that you have given to them would be a blessing in serving us. And we ask that you would bless Ray in his marriage, his fatherhood, his work, and his service as a deacon. In Jesus' name we pray. Finally, we have David Purvis. Is David here? Right there. David, if you and your wife will just stand right where you are, you don't have to come all the way up front. But I want to recognize this brother and his wife, Suzanne. David had previously been ordained and served here as a deacon at First Baptist New Orleans before moving away and now moving back. And, um, and so we are so grateful to have you rejoining the ranks of our deacons to be able to serve in the life of the church and just how important that is. I'm going to ask for Terry Arsenault, who is now our chairman of the deacons this year. And Terry, I'm so grateful for your friendship um, just in these first several weeks of being able to serve with you and of the excellent leadership that you're already given to the deacon body. Um, I also want to take a moment to express my appreciation to Don Cooper and Lisa. Um, I know I saw Lisa earlier. Don is recovering still from surgery, and so I want to thank Don for serving as our chairman last year and providing excellent leadership in a very tumultuous year. Um, so, Don, thank you so much, dear brother. Um, and Lisa, thank you so much for your service. And so I'm going to ask for Terry if he will pray for David and his wife, Suzanne, and to conclude this time of our deacon ordination at this time. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us in a way that uh, we just don't understand how much you love us. Father, I pray that as we serve together that you would lead us, you would guide us and direct us, Father, that we would, uh, that people would see in us, Father, the spirit of Christ, the character, the goodness, all the things that Christ stands for, Father, they would see it in us. Father, we pray right now for David and Suzanne and that you would help him, Father, as he comes on to serve, that we would all be the people you want us to be in, in loving and serving you. Father, I thank you for First Baptist. I thank you for uh, Chad Gilbert as our new pastor, Father. And it's a new year for not only 2021, but for our church, Father, as we step forward. We pray that you'd be with us as deacons, Lord, that we might come alongside Chad and serve with him, Lord, in the way that you would have us to do. Father, I pray for each one of the men that were ordained this morning and that you would be with them and their families, Father, and, and bless them. Let us each be what you want us to be. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for blessing us in the way that you have. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, brothers. You can leave your mics on the front row. Thank you all so much.
you guys you can have a seat thank y'all so much for your service in the church um you know what i loved and i hope you caught it is while um these brothers were praying for these families. I want, I want you to see how Scripture-fed and servant-led go together because even as they prayed over them, they prayed the Word of God, and that is so healthy, and that is so good. And I want you to have been impacted by that example so that as you go forward this week living for Christ, and, and as you are concerned and are praying about the health of your church, that you will pray the Scriptures for the servant leaders that are here, both for myself and the other ministers here, but also for our deacon ministry and for their families, because we want to be a biblically thriving church. So we must be scripture-fed. First Baptist, we must be servant-led. To be servant-led, as I said earlier in the sermon, is to follow, ultimately, Jesus Christ. And today, you may be here, and that is the first step on your journey in a life that will be well-lived, a life that will count for all of eternity, is following Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ begins with an acknowledgement of what Jesus himself has done for you. You see, Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He was the greatest leader in every way that character, conduct, and care could be demonstrated in accordance with God's word he did. And he did that for you so that his righteousness would be attained, but then at the cross it might be given, exchanged. Him taking your sin, your unrighteousness upon himself, and then giving to you his righteousness. And he paid the consequence for your sin and for mine. And on the cross he died, and in the tomb he rested for three days. But on the third day, God raised him from the grave to demonstrate that his son had defeated sin and his son had defeated death. And when you say, I choose to trust Christ, I choose to follow Jesus, I give my life to him, that's where the journey of Christ's leadership in your life begins. The old is gone, the new has come. And so I encourage you today, if that's where you are, there's a way for you to communicate that. To learn more about following Jesus, I want to encourage you to text the word Jesus to the phone number you see there. I realize that asking you to walk down in front of the room might keep you from having that conversation, might keep you from asking the questions you have. It might keep you from trusting Jesus. And so as a church, we want to remove any barrier that would keep you from Christ. And instead, if texting would help us to start that journey and that conversation with you, then please text us today. I want to close us in a word of prayer as I ask um, Bob to come forward to close us with a word of announcements. Father, thank you for today, for this time to be able to worship you from your word. Thank you, Father, that you've made it clear that the deacon ministry is so important in the life of the church, just as the ministry of pastoring is so important. So, Lord, may there be a beautiful relationship at First Baptist New Orleans between the pastor and the deacons in the life of the church. Father, bless us in accordance with your word that Christ would be exalted in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.